electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer of the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is in Los Angeles for the Milken Institute Global Conference. Meantime, we are looking to add to four straight wins for the S&P NASDAQ. Uh, futures reflecting some solid earnings and guidance from Procter and J&J. Don't forget Netflix tonight, Bitcoin near 63K. Our roadmap begins with retail traders versus the mighty short sellers. A long-awaited SEC report playing down that meme madness narrative. We are going to break it down with SEC Chair Gary Gensler live this hour. Plus, speaking of live, we are back live at the Milken Conference. I will be joined by the CEO of Aries Management and Guggenheim's executive chair, Alan Schwartz. We'll also find out why Kathy Wood thinks gamification is exciting for investors. And as we said, Bitcoin getting close to some record highs. The crypto's first approved U.S. ETF set to begin trading here uh, this morning. But, Jim, everybody's watching uh, the raise guidance at J&J and, more importantly, the cost outlook and the guide hold at P&G. Yeah, look, I, I mean, you over P&G, it's very clear that they are telling you right now we are going to be spending far more money than we like. And they don't have the organic growth to be able to make it go better than July to September organic growth. You know, beauty, uh, 2% organic sales, and grooming, 4%. Uh, we got healthcare at 7 but I get that from J&J. J&J is a little bit lower. But the most important thing that I thought was gross margin for the quarter decreased 370 basis points versus a year ago. Now, I mean, the increase in gross margin is driven by commodity costs, unfavorable mix, product impact mix, you know, higher transportation. I mean, Carl, they did not uh, triumph over it the way PepsiCo did. I was surprised that uh, this very good company was, they weren't bushwhacked by it, but the street clearly kind of felt that maybe they would have more buying power. Maybe they would avoid these issues, but they didn't. Uh, J&J obviously doesn't have, uh, you know, they, have the, they have the regular stuff, that Neutrogena, I guess we could call yeah, it. Yeah. But I've got to tell you, J&J to me should be up more. I think J&J has some phenomenal growth in pharma. And pharma in the end is what people want. Now, they could have immediately, they could have raised, you could have bought, raised the buyback, whatever. I think they're trying to figure out what to do. But it's a, I think that you can get this thing, 982 that they might do. Uh, that's just a very inexpensive stock versus what I'm used to with J&J. So I like that one. I like sales up 11. I love Pharma 13. Holy cow. Yep. People don't talk enough about what they've got going. I mean, you know, when you get, if, if you have the unfortunate get prostate cancer, you get J&J's drug. It used to be you had to go down to Florida and get the nuclear radiation or put seeds in. They've got first line, and they're doing first line in a lot of different cancers. It's an undervalued stock. So you're not buying the, uh, the this morning's narrative that low tax bill is, means a low-quality quarter or low-quality print? No, no, I get that kind of growth. It's what I want. I, I just didn't see that growth in P&G. I, I saw similar growth in, in Pepsi, and PepsiCo really did stock it quite well. Well, it is a question this morning whether or not not cutting guidance is a victory. Here's what John Mueller right, told right. the guys on Squawk this morning. We overcame significant uh, commodity and transportation costs with that strong top line and with our continued cost savings program to deliver earnings per share about equal to last year, down 1%. $5 billion of cash returned to share owners, all in a, in a very uh, difficult and volatile operating environment. Um, the results for the quarter, the strength and the breadth, then give us the confidence to confirm guidance for our fiscal year, which ends in June, top line, bottom line, cash. So this is interesting because um, you got Dover under the same pressures. They raise margins year on year. You got Goldman upping Walmart to conviction buy Ooh. on the idea that profitability is going to be better in the years ahead. That was a great, I look, Mike. Charitable Trust, you follow the investment club. We have a giant position in Walmart. We've been waiting for a call like this because Walmart's doing quite well. 
But people are far excited about other things. I mean, they're more excited about Albertsons when it came to grocery until today. They're more excited about Costco, obviously, because they've got some very good numbers. Uh, Target was downgraded uh, from conviction by this new conviction by. This is a strong call. Da- you know, I got to tell you, is, uh, David, is David, on, us, yeah. David, Procter yeah. & Gamble did not raise. We know that this quarter has become the beaten raise quarter. So if you don't raise, David, we just decide we don't want you. Okay, um, I'll accept that, I guess. So you're saying, how long is that going to be the case? You know, backing up for a minute, Jim, a, a 370 basis point reduction, as you were right to note immediately at the top, in margins is pretty extraordinary. Um, and obviously reflects all of the pressures that we've been talking about every single day, whether it's rising commodity costs and or supply chain and the additional costs coming from a result of that. But if you can't, all right, you're not beating and raising, you're, you're, but you're sticking with what you've got. I don't know. I could argue that that's actually pretty positive given this environment. And then I'll come back to you, as I always do, with a question, which is, do we get any sense as to when this is going to start to abate? I think that we look at the earnings estimates of packaging companies next year, and they're all down. And these estimates are not made idly. So if you get the kinds of declines that we're hearing in packaging, uh, uh, plastics, I don't know how much higher diesel can go. I think, David, you're going to see some earnings and you can see some margin expansion next year. But, David, no one cares right now about next year. They're looking at this year and they're making a judgment that we don't want Procter. We want PepsiCo. And you, you may think right. that, uh, that Procter is such a great company that you should hold it. Now, Carl, I'm of the opinion that if you're trading around Procter, you just don't understand Procter. Procter is a juggernaut. And they're going to solve what, they, what they're faced with. They didn't solve it this quarter, so people just say, give me something else. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess we're, we're going to do this every day. We're going to take yes. a report card and argue whether yeah. or not corporates are managing input costs effectively. Exactly. I mean, do you know, um, even Apple. I mean, David, there are notes coming out yeah. saying that Apple yeah. is able to manage its supply chain. Now, David, I, did you right. ever even care about Apple's supply chain? <laughs> like, whoever's in charge of supply chain is suddenly king. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember really uh, worrying too much about it. And obviously they are moving away, right, as we know, from the Intel chips to their own, which you would think would be helpful for them as well. No, I guess I have to admit that that's not something I had thought that much about. But by the way, I don't remember thinking that much about supply chain a couple of years ago either. Something we all sort of took for granted until we learned about the inner workings of it in a way that perhaps we wish we hadn't, given all the problems that we suddenly are aware of. Um, Jim, I want to come back to Walmart for a second. because. Sure. Uh, you know, I do listen to you. I know sometimes you think oh, I just you. look askance at you, but I do listen. No, I know. Well, and no, I don't a lot feel of like you're looking you've been... at your phone. You'll get a picture of your dog. I mean, sometimes it hurts my feelings. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't have any pictures of my dog. Um, I feel like you have not been particularly positive on Walmart for a period of time. That you've been concerned about some things. And so well, I'm a yeah, little because, surprised you know because I was not, down not that you haven't it. owned it. Right. Not that you haven't owned it in the investment club. I'm not saying that. I know you have. As we look at it being, you know, added to the conviction buy list. But, uh, you know, I I hear your enthusiasm this morning. But at the same time, I feel like your recent commentary has much more been focused on challenges for the company uh, as opposed to positives. Well, I think that what's happened, David, is is this is not the way you want to get an upgrade. But it's because everything else moved other than Walmart. So Walmart's now become cheaper. I was hoping to see that Walmart Plus... Which, you know, whenever you say plus, David, that means you got it's Disney plus, Paramount plus, 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 plus. Well, David, it's been minus, okay? And minus is not plus. There's something you just learned from me. Instead of max, min, I guess? Yes, max, min. Max, min is right. So, I mean, but they didn't even, this is, they don't even talk about plus. Uh, Increasing market share in grocery. It is one of the most boring conviction buys I've ever seen. But you know what? When I look at everything else, David, it's the only one that hasn't moved. The only one. I mean, David, I mean, tractor supply has had a huge year versus them. You know what I mean? I do. I know what you mean. All right. So you look for the ones that haven't moved, and that's what you do. And on the research side, why not? Why not be more convicted if you're Goldman Sachs? You might as well. Well, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know. Well, the one thing they do say is that higher profitability is going to allow them to invest more in what? 
Supply chain. Supply chain. <laughs> I mean, I think that if we were supply chain analysts, I mean, the Chinese understood. They, they do just in, just in case. We do just in time. But we need, who is in charge of supply chain analysis at CNBC? Uh, David, I think. Uh, David. Yes. All right, so yeah, David, well, I'm going, I'm going to go down to the port. Gonna, I'm going to go down packaging. to the port. I'm going to get in a. Uh, I'm going to get in a, in one of the you know loading. Uh, I'm going to actually go to China. How about that? I'm going to experience the whole thing live, uh, and I'll I think stream that it makes on a Peacock. ton of sense. Yeah, Peacock Plus yeah. or just Peacock? And then we'll all know about supply chain. How about ESPN yeah. Plus, David? What is ESPN really Plus really giving you? Does that put you in on the field trying to stop uh, Derrick Henry? Are you allowed honestly, to do that? Honestly, I saw. I saw them playing that thing. What's it called, Carl? The one that you play in the beach? They actually had that on. Was it ESPN? It was, wasn't it? Spike ball. Oh, really? They actually had spike ball. Yeah, oh, spike okay, ball. All right. Okay. That's what all you right. get. That's what you get. You get a very high level of spike ball play on ESPN. Are you Plus. the only guys wearing a jacket out there? I mean, people just like are tieless. What are, are anybody's wearing like, you no. know, uh, sleeveless? What? Short? No, people are. People no. still wear ties here a little bit, but most people are not happy about it. Hey, he's wow. our supply chain czar. He can do whatever he wants. Look, I'm a supply chain. I'm going to be an aficionado of supply chain by the time this quarter's over. I'm the guy to see. Uh, still ahead this morning, SEC Chair Gensler's with us on that big GameStop report. We'll talk about this new Bitcoin ETF futures and a lot more. In fact, uh, take a look at futures on equities. We're looking for a fifth day of gains here as the S&P and NAS are within about a percentage point of an all-time high. Don't go away. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Turning to that SEC report on GameStop with the agency saying, quote, payment for order flow and the incentives it creates may cause broker dealers to find novel ways to increase customer trading, including through the use of digital engagement practices. SEC Chair Gensler will join us in the next half hour on that report that eh, Jim Sum said was short on recommendations. Oh, thank God you said that. That quote is actually from page 44. And I did some work. I did like a textual analysis. Uh, they dodged everything. And we got to talk to Chairman Gensler because literally, I mean, they say uh, they found novel ways to increase customer trading. Well, it's novel bad. Well, they didn't reach a conclusion. Um, is, is it OK to have um, customer trading be uh, using digital engagement practices? Well, it doesn't sound like or how about celebrity animations? Why don't you just draw a conclusion? That celebrity animations are not good. Likely to likely tended to create positive feedback from trading legal lead investors to, to trade more than they would otherwise. Is this something we want? Do we want more trading? I mean, in the previous couple of paragraphs, it talks about owning stock. I mean, there, there's a moment. I, look, I, I happen to like Gary very much, so we're not, I'm not trying to slag him. And it's a staff. It's a commission report. But there's a moment in this thing where you suddenly realize what the reality is. And the reality is... The um, is underneath underneath the memes are actual companies with employees, with customers and plans to invest in the future. I mean, basically, you're saying, listen, meme guys, do you even understand what you're doing? But they don't say that. So it's just like it's one of those gold star reports. Everybody gets a gold star. Everybody you trade a lot. You gold star. Is there you anything wrong with uh, having a, taking a light touch? 
Well, I, I think that, yes, because the younger people are not. Uh, the, I think that if you wanted to step back from it, what it says is these companies are encouraging a level of trading that, uh, particularly with 19-year-olds, that they where they're playing with fire. And I just want, even though they've got very good documentation about what options did to common and things like that, they have these kind of subtle references to we don't really want this, but, you know, to each his own. And I think they have to be saying, Listen, and people who are under 21 or whatever, people who are unsophisticated, people, here's, you need to do more to know your customer. So I think, we, they, look, Chairman Gensler's done a remarkable job, and you're right. You might step back and say, well, everybody, he just gave you a sense of where he's headed, so fix it. But I also read it as like, eh, you know, we got one million people under 19, 19 under, and welcome to the club. But there is no club. And there's no money back. There's no guarantee. And, you know, you, you bring in with about one million of those accounts belonging to investors with an average age of 19. I would have liked there having to say, which is an age of people that may not know enough or we want them to be more sophisticated. No conclusions reached but, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. None. Uh, David, I'm curious yeah. to know your thoughts, yeah. because I can easily imagine somebody saying uh, that the opposite would have been a, a, a move toward a nanny state. Ooh. Yep. Uh, and, and the law of unintended consequences. I mean, you know, you can talk to people who are far more studied in these matters than I am looking back at various things the SEC has done or Congress has done that led to uh, diminishing ability to, you know, for the formation of capital. Um, and so, Jim, I mean, a light touch, not necessarily always a bad thing when it comes from the SEC. And as you know, uh, Chair Gensler certainly, and we'll talk to him, uh, uh, you know, is, has uh, a lot of appreciation in history on these various matters. So, they, they are aware of the unintended consequences of too heavy a hand sometimes on yeah. these kinds of things. Certainly education has got to be an important yeah. part of this. But wait, uh, Jim, I do want to give Kathy Wood a chance to comment, too. She was here oh, late yesterday yeah. on a panel. Uh, it kind of it got a, actually was a, a pretty uh, interesting panel. Jeff Solomon, our old from, from Cowan, was on there as well. And she defended gamification. Take a listen. I know a lot of people are concerned about the gamification uh, that the Robin Hoods of the world represent. Uh, but I'm not worried at all about that. I think what happened during the, after the tech and telecom bust and the 0809 meltdown, the fear and risk aversion that, uh, that permeated the markets uh, took the joy out of the markets and took the creativity and the imagination. Now it's coming back, and I really think it's starting with the millennials. They are excited. Joy, Jim, the creativity, the imagination. Come on. It's, it's about trying to uh, make money, not lose money, which seems to be lost in this. Uh, it's about investing for the future. It's what the capital markets do. It's not a game. Hey, listen, you know what's a game? Uh, how about you figure out whether if Josh Allen crosses the goal line, then you go ahead in fantasy and you win. Okay, you want that? Why not call fantasy? It's fine. I mean, I was a little let down. The Eagles aren't playing Miles Sanders enough. That's disappointing. Is that investing? I guess so. By her take, by her take, investing is basically the same as gambling. And it isn't. It's not the same as gambling. Right. Uh, these are important points that we're going to address with the SEC chair uh, in just a few moments. We hope you'll stick around for that. We'll get Kramer's mad dash. We'll count down to the opening bell, uh, which we'll get in just a few moments here on a day where futures are solid and uh, pretty steady all morning long. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Time for Kramer's Mad Dash as we count down to the opening bell. I think you're watching Cloudflare. Yeah, it's a gamer name. <laughs> All right, this is a name that you'll see like Upstart last week when someone said, why do you like Upstart? Well, I it, it, it goes higher. What do they do? It goes higher. I mean, one of the things that I, I like about Kathy Wood 
is if you want to do a little gamify, look at this. This is where you drafted this. It's, this is daily fantasy, okay? You dropped whoever you had. Maybe someone went on IR, and then you picked this guy up in the waivers. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. You want to play that game, play it with Cloud. Now, Cloudflare, what do they really do? They do security, uh, uh, net balance, wait. Uh, they, they, they're basically a streaming content company. And I have them on every quarter, and they're fabulous. But what I worry about with gamification, what that says to me is people don't know what they are. Now, maybe that's okay. I mean, but, you know, if let's say you went to the horses and you bet the farm on, say, Mainstay in the sixth at Belmont two weeks ago, which was a six-to-one shot, at least you might know that it's, a, that it's a Philly riding for the first time on turf. I am saying that people know more about a horse race yeah. than they know about Cloudflare, yeah. and I don't like that. Well, you mentioned Upstart. I mean, we did see a similar move, but then it got a double downgrade yesterday. I mean, the street will react. It was too hot. But I, I, mean, I read that downgrade, and it seemed like it was made for the gamers. It's like, well, you know what? You probably want to. That guy got 60 points last week. No, you want to drop. You want to trade that guy for someone. I'm not kidding, Carl. Fantasy is more significant than gamifying. And, you know, gamification started. Why? Because you couldn't gamble. There was nothing to game. There was nothing to be on. I mean, it was like, you know, this wasn't a season. Well, now we have a season. These people are moving over to playing the bar stools. And, yes. doing, and suddenly it's like, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. That's what I'll bet so on. You don't think they've learned a lesson from the names that have fallen from January or March? Well, they, they've learned that there's better games. <laughs> you know, they, see, here's what they're thinking. Cloudflare, I want it, but I, I need 10 points. Give me 10 points in Cloudflare and I'll buy it. But the, not the money line. I am telling you, that's what they're doing. And if that's fine, if we just want to make it into just one giant casino, may I suggest at least we have a game like Blackjack where there is skill. Yeah. Again, Chair Gensler from the SEC is going to join us on the other side of this break. Take one more look at futures here, and we'll get that opening bell in about four minutes. As far as I'm concerned, the uh, market one day, and I believe one day in the long run, and I don't know how long it is. And I, don't, I think you have to be a fool to try to tell you how long it is in this kind of a market. In the long run, we're certainly going to hit the wall. And I, and everybody, people may say to me, well, anybody can say that. No, but I really think there will be a crisis, the way we're going. The way we're printing up money, the way we're going into inflation. I, I mean, if you look around you, you see this inflation all around you. And I don't know how you deal with that in the long term. I was icon on the half uh, yesterday as the judge and the half are celebrating 10 years of amazing content. Um, what do you think of that, especially the open-ended timeline on his thought? Well, I, I think that that's an older person's view, uh, which is fine because it's an older person who recognizes what's happened in inflation. A lot of people do not remember 1980, 1981, 1982, where we ended up having to crack inflation by raising rates, raising rates, raising rates, go into a recession. So uh, you don't want that to happen, obviously. But what I really disagreed with uh, Mr. Iconel was that he was still saying that corp- there are a lot of corporations run badly. And I, I think he's, that's a stretch to find ones that are really run badly. Well, of course, activists would like to think that, yes. But there aren't that many. Well, every playbook has been used. Do we have David? I think so. David? You know that yeah, the activists are kind of out of thing. You know, there are not that many companies that are so poorly run. I mean, you want to take one Macy's and have it split off their their uh, e-com. I mean, you want to do stuff like that. A true financial engineer. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can always find a company that could be better run and or have a, uh, a, a more responsive board of directors that's more focused. There are certainly, I think. There's plenty of them out there, Jim, but your point is also I, uh, I agree with in the sense of I think corporations are better than they were, certainly uh, in terms of a lot of things. By the way, at, at the Milken Conference over these last couple of days that I've been here, I mean, it's been all about ESG. And you know, the governance part of that is still a very important part, Carl, as well. Uh, and you are seeing a great focus on diversity inclusion. Uh, and all the other important initiatives that have been undertaken by corporate America, really in a, in a very real and positive way over these last couple of years. Let's get the opening bell here, guys, and the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. As you see at the big board, it is ProShares celebrating the first U.S. Bitcoin-linked ETF, uh, ticker BITO, at the NASDAQ Vivid Seats, an online ticket marketplace celebrating its listing via SPAC. So here we are with the ETF, Jim, and the question for many is, 
if I want to own Bitcoin, do I just own it or own the ETF? Well, I think that this kind of reminds me of owning gold. I mean, when you own gold, you might want to put it in a depository. You don't want to bury it in the backyard. I mean, here you want to own the uh, Bitcoin. Well, it's ethereal, and I wish that I, I've had a struggle with J.P. Morgan. I want to deposit my crypto with J.P. Morgan, and they've got like go you know, speak to people and speak to them. They're always very kind about it, but there sh- it should just be like PayPal. Okay, and I trust PayPal. So it is uh, easier. It's easier to own than gold. So I don't know if you need the ETF, but people want it. Is this a landmark moment, though, for the asset as a whole? Yes, I think it is. Uh, but it's also a great reason to trim. Uh, I've been selling Ethereum. Uh, had a big, big gain in Ethereum. And I took some of my profit in Bitcoin and bought a farm. Now we know that real estate seems to be peaking, according to various reports that we get, including uh, my, my friend Ivy Zellman and uh, maybe Zillow. But I think that real estate is a little bit more uh, timeless and valuable in inflation than these might. Sure. Uh, we did get a disappointment on housing starts, uh, largely due yes. to multifamily, which has been on fire for uh, the last couple of months. You mentioned Zillow today, uh, downgraded at Webbush, down to neutral. Uh, many unanswered questions. Yes, that was a good in rep- the near term. That was funny. I mean, why not just slow down purchases rather than stop altogether? That d- did raise a good point. Carl, I-, I know before we get Chairman Gensler, I think if you get all of Congress against you, you have a ten-part series in the Wall Street Journal that basically shames you every day. You have people who criticize your business model and think basically you're trying to ruin society, that's how you get your stock going. Facebook has been unstoppable. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg must be standing there saying, you know what? Bring it on, man. This is like great. We want more hearings. We want Frank Pantangeli, for heaven's sake. That's That's a high for the month. I know. I mean, is the journal out of bullets? I mean, is that it? Is that it with the revelations? We tried to get teenagers to watch, uh, like, Snap? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's all she's got. By the way, as we're talking, uh, BITO is open with a 41. Um, what is that? Yeah, opening at 41, I guess. We'll track this. Jim? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you can lead things up, but I think it's a great opportunity to trim because this is true hype today. Now, I, look, there's guys, uh, the Pomp and uh, Novogratz, uh, it, to mention the word sell and this is ridiculous. I think they feel like it's when Google came public, it was at 88. So what were you kidding? I mean, you sold it for a double, you sold it for a triple, you sold it for a quadruple, you're a fool. And I think that they feel that way. But I, I come back and say, look, I'm up huge and I'm not greedy. They're greedy and I'm not greedy. McTeague, I'm not greedy. I think, I think greed is bad. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I also got rid of my sill suits and stopped talking about uh, blue horseshoe bumps. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, Facebook back to 340. Uh, you got Microsoft fresh all-time high today. Yeah, that uh, stock is a juggernaut. Um, Apple back to the 50-day after, I don't know, probably more about a month uh, below. Jim, what is Fang? How important is it to track? Oh, right Fang here? is so important, and you know, Amazon. I had Amazon Web Services on. I had Adam Slipsky on. Sixty billion dollar company, growing like mad, thirty seven percent. And you know, it would be a Fortune fifty company, and by next year, it'll be a Fortune twenty five company. And it's it's buried within Amazon. And all people think about Amazon is well, maybe. Uh, I don't know. The movies aren't that good or, you know, uh, maybe Alexa stalling. Remember, I had a discussion with Siri last night about Alexa. Very apologetic. I made a mistake. She goes, no worries. I mean, Alexa's very powerful. Alexa, I know. Yeah. Well, David, uh, maybe we need to ask Alexa for exculpatory evidence after that uh, bipartisan letter from Congress yesterday. Yeah, we may need to. (laughs) I know. Um, Guys, you know, Forgive me, Alexa, for moving on, but I did want to focus on uh, another area. We haven't actually talked at all about COVID this morning, um, which is nice. But uh, unfortunately, another antiviral under development to treat uh, early and moderate uh, symptoms of COVID uh, essentially failed. And it does kind of point to the fact that, hey, molnupiravir, the drug that obviously is awaiting FDA, emergency use FDA approval uh, from Merck and Ridgeback, not that easy to get the science right. Uh, here I'm talking about Atia. Take a look at that. Uh, they were partnered with Roche uh, on an antiviral, uh, and they just said on the call, by the way, they went to 1,100 milligrams twice daily because they were seeing half the patients treated at 550 milligrams, not getting great blood levels. The 1,100, well, that may also have caused nausea, vomiting. They, people fell off. 
uh, at that level. By the way, the FDA didn't even let them enroll patients here in the U.S., uh, the drug had a similar structure to a drug from Inhibitix that was discontinued a few years ago as well due to toxicity for heart and kidney. Um, we'll see what happens. They've got very little data here in terms of the safety profile for them to go forward, but perhaps they will. Um, but, Jim, it does point to the success that Merck was able to have. Although, interestingly, while Merck's shares are up now, they were treated dramatically from that great week they had when we first heard about the success for Molnupiravir. Yeah, I, and look, I'm still hoping that one day uh, Regeneron will be approved for, uh, the FDA has not approved it, for an, another form of uh, immune response to be able to get it so you don't get very sick. But I don't know. You're absolutely right, David. This is a hard, hard drug to make. Hard drug. Yeah. Uh, meantime, we are watching that variant in the U.K., uh, which thankfully at this point is spreading not as quickly as Delta did right. over the prior variant. But it's an important point uh, uh, to David's point. Uh, we're watching BITO, obviously, this uh, first U.S. Uh, listed Bitcoin ETF, up about 4 percent today. Uh, speaking of which, Bob Pisani joins us this morning on set with the SEC chair, Gary Gensler. Hey, Bob. Good morning, guys. A uh, lot to talk about today. We've got a Bitcoin futures ETF trading. We've got the GameStop report out. What, are they all in ha- what do they all have in common? Well, they're all regulated by the SEC. Let's talk to the man in charge. SEC chair Gary Gensler joins us right now. Mr. Chairman, thanks very much for joining us. Good to be good to be with you, Bob. So I want to talk about your GameStop report, but I have to start with Bitcoin. We've got a raft of cheering people down here from ProShares. The ProShares uh, Bitcoin ETF, the futures ETF, is starting trading. Just started a few moments ago. I have to ask you: Can you can you explain to our viewers why you chose to allow a Bitcoin futures ETF to begin trading, but have not yet approved a regular Bitcoin ETF? Um, Bob, thank you for that question. Uh, Just to give you a little context, I think that we in the official sector uh, should be uh, technology neutral, but not policy neutral. And so what we're trying to do is ensure to the best we can within our authorities to bring uh, projects into the investor protection perimeter. And so what you just mentioned, uh, Bitcoin futures have been overseen by our sibling agency, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which I was once uh, honored and proud to serve there. And that's been four years. And uh, some of these applications came in and went effective, as you said, one of them went effective uh, with regard to those uh, products over at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange that our sibling agency oversees. I think the important thing here is you've made it clear in the past that this does not have the, some of the concerns that approving a full Bitcoin ETF would have. You don't have people breaking into exchanges, for example. You don't have problems with fraud uh, or manipulation. Was that a factor? It seems that that was a factor in the fact that you went ahead and allowed the Bitcoin futures ETF. You don't have those particular problems here. Well, while I'm not going to get into any one application or project, I think what you have here is uh, uh, a product that's been overseen for four years uh, by a U.S. federal regulator, the CFTC, and that's being wrapped inside of something that is within our jurisdiction called the Investment Company uh, Act of 1940. So... We have some uh, ability to bring it inside of investor protection. It's still a highly speculative asset class, and uh, listeners should understand that uh, underneath this, it still has that same uh, aspect of uh, volatility and speculation. Uh, But there's uh, our sister agency has overseen this uh, for four years. And then it brings it inside, as I said, Uh, an 80-year-old law here at the SEC. Let me move on to the GameStop report. Uh, Usual thorough report from your staff. Uh, I think this will be the historical record uh, of what happened. But I'm curious about the recommendations. You, You have been talking for many months about payment for order flow and gamification and the potential deleterious effects of of, of both of these uh, on the U.S. trading system. Uh, And yet there was no discussion about how this might have impacted the trading 
uh, for GameStop. I'm wondering if there is some kind of connection. Was, was payment for order flow and gamification a factor in what happened with GameStop or, or not? The report doesn't say. So I think that uh, the events of January revealed a number of things. And as the staff suggested for additional consideration, these two topics plus two others, uh, that we look out for the investing public when brokerage apps, when robo-advisors are using uh, new data analytics and, and marketing to us and using behavioral prompts to possibly get us to trade in a way that benefits them, benefits the application and the, and the program uh, in conflict potentially with what benefits us, the investing public. Uh, also uh, embedded in some of those issues are the structure of the stock market itself. It's so much of the market now is, is evidenced in the report in January in these months, about half of the market is not going to the transparent sort of market, that fully lit market that you earlier showed, but it's going to dark pools and wholesalers. So those issues uh, the staff suggested up uh, we'll, we're going to take a closer look in, in terms of what policies can help the public. Uh, Chairman Gensler, it's great to have you on the show again. Uh, I know that uh, your position on trying to invest well. Uh, I read a great book that you wrote about no free lunch. That's why we have diversification. And then I read this report, and I absolutely understand it's very thorough. It's got great stuff and talks about how options didn't really affect things and what did impact. And then on page, uh, the the last uh, notes, uh, number two, there's this sentence. Uh, Payment for order flow and the incentives it creates may cause broker dealers to find novel ways to increase customer trading, including uh, through the use of digital engagement practices. I read this and it felt like a bit of a lamentation. I felt that right before that you talked about, don't forget, uh, companies uh, underneath the memes are actual employees, customers, plans to invest. And then you get to this. And I wanted you to be able to say it, it, it. Maybe this is unfortunate. Because I know that people want, uh, they want to open and have as much engineering, financial, but this is not Chairman Gensler. Chairman Gensler is against any idea that we should be doing these digital engagement practices that might hurt investors. So I, I, <laughs> let, let me sort of address that. I think that we've found throughout our economy, uh, on platform after platform, whether it's in, in, in streaming apps, or retail apps, uh, of various social media, that we're in a transformative time. The 2020s is rapidly changing. On top of the invention of the inter- internet many decades ago, we have data analytics, artificial intelligence that markets to each of us a little differently. I mean, you might type something in a text and then all of a sudden find you're being advertised something you type to a personal friend in the text. So those features are all around. What we're raising the question is, is in finance, what does that mean for finance? These digital engagement practices, the the underlying separating you from me and from all of us. And then if the application's marketing for their revenues and payment for order flow does have an inherent conflict that the brokerage application is increasing their revenues if we trade more. And so mm-hmm. are they using these behavioral prompts to get us to trade more or to move to different products, options trading or trading on margin, which inherently have more risk in them? And where, where do we, the SEC, help the investing public act uh, to help them uh, do well when there's these inherent conflicts inside the uh, kind of inside the box? Right. But I I guess what I struggle with is you've got this great moment here. There are one million of these accounts belonging to investors with an average age of of 19. I think these investors, if they're focusing on, let's say, trying to put together a fantasy team, I think they're spending a lot more time on fantasy, trying to figure out who's on waivers tonight, uh, how to be able to make it. So what's the line? What's the over? They're spending more time, Chairman Gensler, on their fantasy lineup than they are trading. They're trading like Banshees, don't we want to encourage them to spend as much time as they do in their fantasy lineup? Well, I think that that investing for the long term 
tends to have higher returns than day trading or even hourly trading. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes these applications encourage individuals to have high trading volumes or trade on margin or options that have inherently higher uh, risks. And so that's where uh, there's, there's a worthwhile public debate. And I think I thank the staff of the SEC to serve up this report. I think, yes, as you said earlier, now it's the job of the commission to sort through what we do with these uh, additional considerations. Uh, Mr. Chairman, the staff determined that a short-selling squeeze was a factor, but it wasn't the primary reason for the big sell-up price run-up in GameStop. It was positive sentiment, I'm reading from the report here, that sustained the weeks-long price appreciation. Positive sentiment, not the short squeeze. Uh, uh, Short covering was a small fraction of the overall buying volume. I guess I'm wondering, though, despite that, you've been talking about potential changes in short-selling rules. Do we need to make any changes? Do we need more, for example, disclosure about short-selling? I I think that the markets could benefit from greater transparency, not only on short-selling, but a related activity in the markets, which is called stock loan. When you borrow a stock to sell it short, Congress actually, our U.S. Congress actually about 11 years ago, passed two provisions that mandated directed the SEC to, to do greater transparency in short selling and this related activity stock loan. So I have asked staff for recommendations on this to promote, meaning that on a, on a regular basis, the market would benefit from seeing the volumes and activity in uh, the lending market, meaning lending securities, and also this short selling activity. Just to follow up on payment for order flow, I mean, most, most viewers of, of uh, the trading activity in the last 30, 40 years agree that the American investor has never gotten a better deal. Not only have commissions essentially go to zero, but even trading costs are much lower. Execution quality has improved dramatically in the last 30 years. I know there's a little bit of debate about it, exactly how much, but the average investor seems to be getting a very good deal. Can you, do you feel you're going to be actually able to demonstrate a real harm from payment for order flow, number one? And number two, can you tell us what comes next here? You've got the commission with a, your staff with a very excellent report on the facts, but not a lot of direction about where it should be going. Is the commission then going to meet and make recommendations or make rule changes uh, from here? What, what's the path here forward after this commission staff report? Well, let me say this. You're, you're right that our markets have gotten uh, more uh, uh, to have moved to zero commission, but it doesn't mean it's free. There's still payment underneath these applications. It also doesn't mean that it's always best execution. And we've had we've had cases where we've announced in the last uh, 18 months where there has been this conflict between the broker on the one hand and this payment for order flow on the other. And let me just remind your viewer that if you place a retail market order, as shown in this report, the vast majority of those don't go to the transparent lit markets. They go to the dark market, the, the, these, these pools that are not competing. And so I've asked staff, can we achieve this simple concept that your order, when you place it, competes with other orders? And buyers, if you're selling will compete to get and to pay you, hopefully, the best execution for that price, order by order by order. That's what I've asked staff. And I think that that's an important concept of competition that helps the investors on one side, helps the companies on the other side that are raising money in our markets. Well, uh, Mr. Chairman, again, I want to praise the staff because those who read this will know there was not a vast conspiracy against them which was really the topic that I know a lot of us felt we were really uh, razzed by because we were all in on some sort of citadel conspiracy. I think that's completely busted this. But there was something on page 12 that disturbed me. You talk about some in the marketplace may possess superior information about underlying assets. That, sir, I think is illegal. Did we discover that some had superior information and therefore should be in front of the commission to find out what the heck went on? 
Well, I think that uh, you chose the words carefully maybe there, but when when order flow, when when trading is being purchased and sent to one wholesaler or another wholesaler, then they have information that the rest of the market may not have, at least for a short period of time. And, and even milliseconds matter in these markets. And so that's what we're also looking at. Uh, you're absolutely right that we, I think from a policy perspective, want to look at that and how we instill greater competition, in essence, for that data, as well as for that order flow. Chair Gensler, uh, Chair Gensler, David Faber here. Um, you know, we had you on not that long ago, obviously a long-ranging interview. I wanted to come back to SPACs, if I might, just for a moment. Um, haven't really heard that much from the SEC yet, and I wonder where you are, because it does appear that the market has been making its voice heard when it comes to SPACs. Uh, we are seeing the sponsors uh, changing their compensation arrangements. We've seen the pipe market really freeze up. Uh, and so... Is the market doing its job and the SEC, therefore, perhaps doesn't have to take significant action in any way in terms of regulation for SPACs? I, I think that there uh, uh, is, is a, a, a need here for greater transparency, greater disclosure. These are, these are uh, innovations that have happened in our market, special purpose acquisition companies, but they're costly and they may also have inherent conflicts between a promoter or sponsors taking generally about 20% of the offering. That, that If you raise a billion dollars, that's $200 million. Can I repeat the number? $200 million to basically raise money in a blank check type of shell company. And then you have two years to go out and try to buy something. And there's also this conflict that if you don't buy something, you don't get the promoter, the sponsor doesn't get that 20%. So there's an incentive to buy something, even if it's not the best purchase in the world, particularly as the clock is ticking and you get to the end of the two years. So I know I've said this a lot um, about staff working on recommendations. These, these rules are highly detailed. We need to work on the economic analysis, which is so critical to good decision-making. There are five commissioners. And so the process does take a number of months. And sometimes uh, the public says, oh, where's that document or where's that rule proposal? But I would envision that staff will put something up to our five-member commission. And if, if there's the support of the commission, we'll put it out to public comment with regard to SPACs with regard to a number of these other topics we've talked about as well. Just a, a follow-up to my question, the second part you didn't quite answer. What's next here? What happens after this report? Does the commission meet, uh, your five commissioners discuss what you want to do? Are you going to make proposed rule changes? I know you have a request for comment on digital engagement practices that are out there. What will become of that? I guess I'm looking for a roadmap for what you're trying to accomplish here. So the, the five of us uh, uh, generally meet bilaterally, and then sometimes we meet as, as a group. And as a group, when we do that, uh, often that leads to what's called a public meeting and the cameras are on and the like. Um, in terms of what's next is staff recommendations on the plumbing. This is called the clearing and settling side. There seems to be broad support uh, in market participants to shorten the settlement cycle. We are secondly assessing the comments that came in on digital engagement. Uh, I've asked staff to consider whether there's some recommendations we'd have on those potential conflicts and also better protecting the public. And then the third area that was highlighted was market structure, the, the entire equity market structure. We haven't updated it in 16 years, since 2005, and I think technology has changed so dramatically that it's worthwhile taking a very close look and seeing if we propose something out. In all of these areas, as well as short selling, which I talked about earlier, that I would anticipate we'd, we'd propose things because Congress has told us, mandated that we need to, to. In these four areas, I'd envision as staff is debating it, commissioners will weigh in, and then if we think so, we'll put it out to public comment. Uh, I, my, my hope is that we put it out and have a lively public debate 
and see what's best for the markets and for the investing public. Mr. Chairman, on page 12, uh, page six, in order for a customer to trade options, broker dealers must conduct due diligence that option trading is appropriate for the individual customer. Sir, Robinhood has millions of customers. There's no way they're doing that. I mean, isn't it time we examine that process? Well, so it's this is one of the challenges that to get greater access, our user interfaces on our uh, mobile phones have made it very efficient. But then the question that you've just raised is also appropriate. Is somebody on the other side looking as to whether doing the due diligence, as you say, about that customer opening a higher risk account, an options trading account, for instance, or a margin trading account? And uh, I, I think the staff appropriately flagged this issue. Mr. Chairman, I want to thank you for coming on uh, and giving us your thoughts. And we very much appreciate the work of your staff in laying out the facts. And obviously, this is a very important historical document in terms of what happened. And we look forward to having you on again soon to let us know what the next steps are. Gary Gensler, chairman of the SEC, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Bob, appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Bob Bob. Yeah, it's great, Bob. Thank uh, you. Jim, how about tonight? Yeah, just so you know, if you go to DraftKings, you can't use margin. Why? Because they know that people aren't responsible. But on Robinhood, you had all the margin one. Uh, but they're spending more time learning on uh, Robinhood than, uh, and not doing the right thing right. versus DraftKings when they're doing it right. And I think it's an outrage. It's an outrage. Options. They're doing everything on options. It's really 50% of those people trading options. They don't know what they're doing. They don't Anyway, tonight I got Splunk. I, I, look, the commissioner's excellent, and the commission is fantastic. There's nothing we can do. We can't, Bob, we can't just say no options. I mean, there are vehicles, but we can't make a horse. We can lead a horse to water, man. As you've often said, never mistake an up market for being a genius. Going long options is a great little business as long as the market is going up. And the minute it turns, a lot of people are going to get religion. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for bringing us that great interview. Yep, that was good stuff. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.